welcome to Money Matters TV. I'm your host today, Patricia Dunn from Merrill Lynch Wealth Management and specifically the Dunn Wealth Management Group located right here in West Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. And today my co-host is Paul Mitchell from Upland Capital, uh, Upland Business Capital, and he'll be helping us out with some discussions regarding mortgages in this interesting low interest rate environment. And we have a special guest today, Lewis Crass from Agile Management Consultants. And talk about a timely conversation. In the middle of this pandemic, the need for help with supply chain risk management, which is Lou's specialty, is especially needed. So I'm sure he will have very interesting things to share with us. But I thought I'd start today with something that has come up time and time again in our own practice, the Dunn Wealth Management Group, uh, that I think that our viewers would be particularly interested in. Now, many times on this show, I've talked about the four levels of service available within the financial services industry and how the first level, the do-it-yourself level, focuses on picking stocks and building a collection of good quality stocks that'll serve you well over time. And the second level, the automated advice, and the third level, the generic advice where a human is actually working with you, um, these focus primarily on the portfolio where wealth management and Merrill Lynch and the JP Morgans and the UBSs of the world live. Uh, we're focused more on growing and protecting net worth and ultimately transferring that net worth thoughtfully to the next generation or the charities of your choice. But along with that change in mindset to the net worth, many of my clients approach me and say, Pat, how can I pass on this legacy to my children? How can I teach financial awareness to my children so that they understand it's not just picking stocks and buying portfolios, but it is growing and protecting their net worth. So what we do is I recommend to them this book called, Yes, You Can Raise financially aware kids. And it's actually a book that is all full of games that you can play with children at four different age groups from toddler all the way up to high school. And one of these games is one that I want to talk about today for the children's point of view and the adult point of view, because if you're into growing and protecting net worth, it is a critical point that you need to be aware of. And that is the difference between needs and wants. Now, I have a five-year-old granddaughter that I'm over the moon and stars about. Anyone who knows me, hears me talk about my granddaughters. I was babysitting the other day and I decided this would be a great time to play this game. So I took my young granddaughter up to her bedroom and I said, now, honey, uh, Nanny has some great big green stickers and some medium-sized pink stickers. Pink because she's a girl. Had to be pink. 
I said, I want you to look at the things in your room and tell me what you absolutely need. Well, she looked at me like Nanny was from Mars. What are you talking about, Nanny? So I said, well, wait a minute. I'll do the first one. I said, you know, you have a bed that uh, is very important because if you didn't have a bed, you'd have to sleep on the floor. So let's put a green sticker on your bed. So she got that and she's very bright. I said, what else do you absolutely need to have? And she thought, and she thought, and she thought, and she said, well, Nanny, I have to have my lamp because if I didn't have a lamp, I couldn't see in the dark and mommy couldn't read me stories before I go to bed. I said, very good. Put a green sticker on the lamp. So at that point, then she started getting silly and she ran and she got her teddy bear and she said, I need to have this nanny. I said, no, you got that teddy bear for your birthday. Before your birthday, you didn't have the teddy bear. That teddy bear is something that you want. You don't have to have it. So put a pink sticker on Teddy. Well, now she was starting to get it. So she says, I want books because I like it when mommy reads me books before I go to sleep. I said, you're right. And if she doesn't read one book, she's going to read another book. So it's not a need. It's a want. So let's put a pink sticker on the book. At that point, she got silly as little ones will. And she brought me her textbook from school. And she says, I want this. And I knew she was baiting me. And I said, no, no, dear. You have to learn how to read and write and you have to go to school. So your school books are a need. Now, is that the last time we're gonna play this game? No. And the whole thing took maybe 10, 15 minutes which for a five-year-old is a long attention span. But it started to get the point across. And it's something that we'll work on in more and more sophisticated ways as she gets older. Now, for our viewers out there who are maybe thinking, gee, it's time to move up from just focusing on the portfolio and start focusing on my net worth. And I think I'm going to go make an appointment and sit down with a team because typically wealth management is done on teams of seasoned professionals with credentials after their names and see where I stand. Well, be prepared because part of the first conversation is going to revolve around needs and wants. Now I'm going to show you at the bottom of the screen several different items and they're going to be different for every single viewer. But I want you to mentally think in terms of, gee, for me, is that a need or is that a want? So let's start with retirement age. For you, is it a need or is it a want? Let's look at the next one. The next one is estate and legacy. Depending upon your age, this could be very important. 
But is it a need or is it a want? The next is education goals. Now, education goals can be education for yourself. Many people in retirement go on to get MBAs and other advanced degrees. Is it for your adult children to help them get ahead? Or is it for your grandchildren? But whoever it's for, is it a want or is it a need? Surviving spouse. Surviving spouse is a very interesting topic. And you will spend a lot of time on this. If you have a spouse, if you're divorced or widowed or a widower, skip it. It's not an issue. The next one is long-term care and health care expenses. Remember, we talked in terms of growing and protecting net worth. This is an area that can really do damage to net worth. And this is an area where all the stock picking in the world and all the portfolios in the world may or may not help you. This is definitely a net worth issue. But beyond that, for you personally, is it a need or a want? The next one is retirement lifestyle. Now, remember, I said retirement age first. And I said retirement lifestyle as a separate item. I'm sure you're wondering, aren't they one in the same? No, they're not. And it's important as to which column you put which one in. And finally, there is major dreams and purchases. Now, people who work with you and help you with your growing and protecting your net worth do handle mortgages, lines of credit, life insurance, long-term care coverage, trust accounts when needed. And yes, of course, we do portfolio management. It's more comprehensive. But since my special guest or my co-host today is Paul Mitchell and an expert in this area, I'm going to ask Paul to share with us, if someone's coming to see you, Paul, what should they be prepared that you're going to talk to them about when it comes to major dreams and purchases? Okay, well, we're talking about a mortgage. So uh, that's the, the primary focus. Uh, that's what we're looking at uh, right now. Some of the other things are a little bit further down the road. But certainly it's probably the, uh, the biggest purchase, biggest uh, investment you're going to be making for a long, long time. Now, your mortgage rates are extremely low these days. Uh, they've been low for actually uh, quite a long time. I've gotten even lower. Um, I asked my uh, my neighbor recently, I learned that they were moving, and I said, uh, gee, great time to move, low mortgage rates, as low as 3%. Said, what'd you get? 2.7%. I said, holy smoke. That was like a, a third of what I paid for my first uh, mortgage. So what you want to do is, is be prepared. Um, and one of the way, best ways to be prepared is don't just talk to one advisor, one mortgage um, uh, broker or, or mortgage lender. You should talk to, I would say, two or three, get some different perspectives. Uh, one of the perspectives is uh, the ratio of your income to the amount of the mortgage and mortgage payment you're going to be getting. Uh, that can vary somewhat. And of course, the riskier it is, the, the more of your uh, income is being dedicated to the uh, the payment, the higher the rate's probably going to be or the less likely you're going to you know, even get the mortgage. 
The same goes with the amount of your down payment. Uh, in the old days, or some days, you could get away with a little as putting 10% down and getting a pretty good rate. Generally speaking, those days are long gone. You're more in the 20 to 25% range. So you have to be able to document that. You can't just say to the, um, the, the mortgage person, gee, I've got 20% you know, down. You come in with your bank statement, show it to them. Show that, uh, that, that document that you have it in your savings account or your brokerage account or wherever. It's in a, a cash equivalent, okay? Not that you own uh, you know, 55 shares of some uh, uh, company that uh, is going to go bankrupt uh, next, next month. I'm sorry, that's, that's not going to work. So be prepared. Be very prepared to, to document. And again, by practicing the process, talking to other people that have gone through it or other mortgage advisors before you even go and see them, find out what you need to bring in. Because a lot of this is just plain paper. You may be a nice person. You may have a nice job and all. But it has to be documented, documented, documented. Going along with that, of course, is the security of your job. I mean, today's climate, you know, uh, there's some iffy things going on. So you want to be able to point out how secure you are in your job. You've been on the job for, you know, two, three, five years, that type of thing. Or if you just recently moved, that it's the exact same field, et cetera. So right. and documentation. Well, that leads us right into our viewer question, which I believe you've half answered at this point. But Gene uh, Victor from Exton asks, what are some money-saving tips when it comes to making a loan? Now, you already said talk to, one, to more than one lender. Right, sure. You said bring in all your statements to prove that you have the money to make the down payment. Right. And let me think, there was another one. Oh, be it, be prepared to talk about the security of your job. Your income, right. Is there anything else you want to add to that list that would be a money-saving tip? Sure. Uh, you may say that uh, you've had an inspector go through the property and they've determined that uh, $6,000 of repairs or improvements uh, would be uh, advised and that you've arranged with the seller to pay for that ahead of time. There's a good right. one. Not everybody does that. You're there to negotiate. You can try to negotiate with the lender also. I mean, um, in, in these days, uh, whether it's uh, mortgage brokers or real estate and, uh, uh, brokers and all, you know, sometimes uh, fees uh, vary uh, considerably. You know, one percent here, two percent there. So that's one way of doing it. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, for our viewers out there, here's how you send in your questions to Money Matters TV. You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matters-tv.com. On our homepage, click on the banner on the right that says, Send Us Your Questions. While you're on our website, you can find information about our hosts and guests, as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows. Money Matters is also available as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen to Money Matters while you're on the go. That website address, again, is money, M-O-N-E-Y, dash matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, tv.com. Welcome back to our show. And now for the exciting part of the program, where we interview Mr. Lou Crass, from Agile Management Consultants. Welcome to our show, Lou. I'd Thank like you, Pat. To, 
Good afternoon. Like Pleasure to be here. I'd like to um, start by helping our viewers understand what type of consulting services do you perform? So Pat, I, I focus on supply chain management consulting, which is optimizing the flow of goods and services, information or data and finances from an organization's suppliers to its customers. The goal of a good supply chain consultant is to look for and recommend improvements that reduce cost and increase revenue for the organization. The way that I approach supply chain optimization is by examining three enablers for achieving efficiency. These are people, processes, and technology. To achieve supply chain efficiency, you need to balance the three. You can think of it as a three-legged stool. If one leg is out of balance, the stool wobbles. So for the people aspect, I ask, given current supply chain processes and technology, do we have the right resources with the right skill sets to accomplish the organization's goals and objectives? In other words, how are roles and responsibilities defined and executed across the supply chain? And do they positively or negatively affect supply chain operation? For processes, I look at how efficient they are. Are they as efficient as they could be? Or are their bottlenecks affecting the customer experience and driving up costs? Typical supply chain processes include supply planning, procurement, manufacturing, quality, distribution, transportation, order fulfillment, and receiving. And lastly, for technology, I look at whether the company is using technology effectively to enable efficient supply chain operations, or are there disconnects that affect the use of data analytics as a competitive advantage? Hmm. When you talk about supply chain, a manufacturer, they're buying widgets or different types of things to make it into something else, et cetera, et cetera. But if, let's say I'm a law firm. I mean, I'll buy, buy paper, but is there any other thing besides that that you get involved in uh, as a supply chain consultant? I, I get involved with not only supply chain, but I get a, a involved in a lot of um, technology-related um, consulting work to either improve technology or to um, address concerns like cybersecurity mm -hmm. and uh, counterfeits in the marketplace. Those are big ones. What, what areas in the supply chain management um, are your clients demanding help with the most right now in the middle of this pandemic? Well, uh, two big areas come to mind. And first is increased visibility of their entire supply chain. So, and, and they, they, they like this done through the use of business intelligence tools, which incorporate artificial intelligence to perform advanced analytics on data generated across the various segments of the supply chain. The second is managing supply chain risk. I've received a lot of requests lately for my expertise in managing supply chain risk due to the growth of cybersecurity incidences and the proliferation of counterfeit materials in the market. Mm. Lou, you're an expert in this. Um, how did you get into it? Uh, what, what's your background? What makes you uh, an expert that uh, a client would say, gee, boy, this guy really knows what he's talking about. I better, uh, better hire him. 
Uh, would you like to know more about supply chain risk management? Well, I guess that's part of it. Um, I guess, how do you determine it? Well, let me, let me explain what it is. Supply chain risk management is reducing or eliminating the probability of a supply chain disruption from an adverse incident. Examples of adverse incidents can include anything from a supplier going insolvent to compromises in the integrity, trustworthiness, and authenticity of products occurring while moving through an organization's supply chain. The companies from which you directly purchase materials and services are your tier one suppliers. About half of all supply chain disruptions directly affect a company facility or a tier one supplier. The other half of supply chain disruptions occur beyond or below the tier one suppliers. So in other words, those disruptions may originate from a supplier supplier. A disruption at a tier two or tier three supplier causes a domino effect that creates problems for their customers and their customers' customers. So I can tell you that this is really something that the business owner has to take very, very seriously. Um, is there anything you'd want to tell the business owner specifically about why supply chain management is important? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about the risk management portion of this thing because improvements in, in supply chain management is always a goal of an organization to, to cut costs and cut waste out of the supply chain and to uh, look for ways to increase revenue. But a component of, of supply chain management that is um, gaining more interest is supply chain risk management. And I'll give you a little bit of background. Over the past 20 years, globalization has created a huge change in the way business is conducted worldwide. And a shift towards low cost producers has exposed vulnerabilities and gray areas never before considered in the context of the long-term impact to a company's supply chain, as well as impacts on national security. In low cost supply chains, the lower tier suppliers may adulterate, contaminate, and use banned materials, which are cheaper options, either being unaware of dangers or deliberately to lower costs. Now, while companies across sectors have been strengthening their cybersecurity defenses with technologies such as firewalls, endpoint protection, and network detention and response, one area remains overlooked, and that's securing the supply chain. So consider that today's supply chain is now less of a linear chain of moving parts from manufacturing to market, and more of a web that extends and branches in every direction. With digital services such as cloud providers in the mix, we're now talking about a multifaceted ecosystem to run your core business. In fact, research has found that the average organization has given 471 third parties access to sensitive information. And what's more, each third party has its own complex web of suppliers. So while you may have invested greatly in cybersecurity controls, and are confident about your company's own security safeguards, you need to evaluate your confidence in your vendors, especially those who can access your network or data, such as raw material suppliers, billing and payment vendors, electronic health record platforms, and cloud service providers. And there's, there's one more big reason why this is important. 
It's also important because compliance to supply chain risk management standards is being mandated by the federal government. Soon, if a commercial company wants to do business with the federal government, that company must meet government supply chain risk management standards. These standards are defined within a set of publications developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So from a financial aspect, if you want to do business with the government, you'll have to have mature supply chain risk management processes in place to comply with something called NIST SP 800-161. I want to I want to say I'm going to say that a couple times during um, my interview here because it's a very important document because companies are going to have to comply with what is in this document and it's about a 280 page document that covers the spectrum of processes in a supply chain. What are some of the ways to, to provide such compliance with the, these government regulations? I mean, 280 pages, um, how, how do you address all those? Well, let me, let, me, um, let me get into some of the risk categories here first. One, one is, of course, financial risk. And that, that asked the question, is one of my suppliers that provides a critical component experiencing financial trouble that might cause a major disruption if they were to become insolvent? Or is one of their suppliers experiencing financial problems? Um, do I have alternate sources of supply? Uh, one way to check a supplier's financial risk is to monitor the company's current ratio for any negative trends its ability to satisfy short-term debt obligations. Um, there's there's cybersecurity risk. Do I have the proper controls in place that will prevent an attack on my company's data? Do I have controls in place for second and third tier suppliers that may have access to my systems? There's also counterfeits, and this is a big risk. According to the Cha United States Chamber, Chamber of Commerce, counterfeit products cost the American economy more than 400 billion annually. Counterfeit maintenance, repair, and operational spare parts can create a serious hazard for equipment systems and facilities, and most important, personnel that work with and around them. Um, and this, this is interesting. A company's operations could be buying and using counterfeit parts and not know it. Mm -hmm. Counterfeits can look so much like original parts in their packaging graphics and engraved identification markings, that it's nearly impossible to distinguish them from the real thing. The increasing flow of fake aftermarket bearings from China and other Asian countries is a good example of this dangerous supply chain situation. These items continue to create enormous headaches for major bearing manufacturers. Many imported counterfeit bearings even come with phony certificates proclaiming that the items were manufactured in the US and meet specified standards for American-made products. Well, we have one minute left. So can you answer quickly? What are some steps that an organization should take to avoid supply chain disruptions? Uh, clearly, this is a serious subject. It's very serious. Um, first, companies that are intending to bid on federal contracts should begin the process of getting familiar with NIST SP 800-161. This covers all the compliance requirements for managing supply chain risk. 
They should evaluate and identify current risks by taking a critical look at their business and identify areas with risk exposure and identify and evaluate potential supply chain disruption scenarios. They should ensure supplier, their suppliers have good quality processes. Suppliers can have a direct impact on a company's reputation. Um, that said, diversify suppliers. Don't rely on one source of material, materials or products. It's desirable to source from low cost locations around the world, but if goods can't be delivered in a timely manner, your supply chain becomes vulnerable. So establish reliable secondary suppliers in different regions to minimize the, this risk. Lou, yes. we may have to have you back, but I do have to okay. share with our viewers who our next guest will be on Money Matters. Our next guest will be Marilyn Anthony from Temple's Fox School of Business. Now, Mar Marilyn's title is Strategic Outreach Director. And what she does, what does that mean? She introduces entrepreneurs to people they should know. So I'm sure that will be a very interesting show. So thank all of our viewers for listening and tuning in today. And remember.